Good morning, everybody. Thanks. Is that you, Alan? Thanks. Um, it's great to be with you again this morning. If we've not met before, my name is Richard, uh, and I'm part of the leadership team that works across the um, different communities of King's Church. Um, do hope that you are able um, to make it on Tuesday, um, because we are a church made up of multiple congregations, multiple communities, and just the opportunity to meet people from our other communities and to hear what we're doing and how God is using us and how we can support one another and pray for one another across our communities is really, really valuable. So I really want to encourage you, if you can, to make um, Tuesday evening a priority. Um, We're carrying on um, looking through uh, the Bible, working through the books of the Bible, and this week um, we are in Galatians. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, or dial up on your Bibles, um, the book of Galatians. So Galatians is a letter um, written by Paul um, around the middle of the first century, so quite some time ago. And this letter was written in response to tensions between Jewish and Gentile, non-Jewish believers. So tensions between those who believed in Jesus, but some of them had come from a Jewish background and some of them were new to this whole faith thing, from a, or certainly to the, to the biblical faith, um, from a non-Jewish background. And there were tensions between them, particularly over whether it was still necessary to comply with the Old Testament law in order to be part of God's people. Now, some of you will be familiar, um, that whole subject gets addressed in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 15, there's like a big um, crisis meeting where people go from a predominantly um, Gentile part of the world off to Jerusalem to work out what's going to be the answer to this question because there's big tensions. What makes us part of God's people? What do we have to do in order to prove that we're part of God's people? And Paul is writing in this case to a predominantly Gentile audience um, to to explain to them um, the gospel that they've believed in. So it starts with an argument that the kind of focal point to this argument is circumcision. Okay, now at this point sometimes the men start to feel a little bit uncomfortable. Um, but really, it's not about circumcision. Circumcision is because circumcision was kind of like the, 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 the symbol of keeping the law. So, that's, so it goes on about that, and it gets quite passionate at one point. And Paul says, well, if you're going to do that, you might as well go the whole way and chop everything off. Um, so it's quite a passionate letter. But it's really what the, the underlying issue is whether we have to live by law in order to be part of God's people. Okay, so we'll dive in in Galatians chapter 1, and we'll read a couple of passages to begin with. Galatians 1, 6 to 10. Paul says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. 
as we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than that which you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And we'll skip to chapter 2 and verse 15. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I li- the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Paul is passionate about the gospel. You're going to find this all the way through Paul's writing, all the way through the letters of Paul in the New Testament. He's passionate about the gospel. It's his thing in life. It's what he's been called to devote his whole life to, is to making sure the church properly understands the gospel. And what Paul is passionate about us understanding is that we have received a gospel of grace. We have received a gospel of grace. Now, people have tried to come up with all kinds of definitions of grace and what it really is. I remember a long time ago hearing someone preach that grace was a young girl riding a bike with her hair flowing in the wind. I'm not so sure about that particular definition, but perhaps... What some people um, have tried to kind of describe it to us as, uh, which is perhaps more helpful, is grace is the unmerited favour of God. It's getting what we don't deserve. It's when we haven't earned anything, when we did nothing to deserve it, when it wasn't through our effort and yet we received the benefit of somebody else's effort. Of somebody else's work. And what Paul wants us to understand is that the gospel we've received is on the basis of what Christ has accomplished. And what Christ has done at the cross and not on the basis of our own efforts. So we read a number of times that word justified. Justified, we can get into all kinds of legal analogies, but basically at its core, it means declared righteous. Declared righteous. So if we've been justified in Christ, if we've been justified on the basis of what Jesus has done at the cross, it means because of his effort, because of his work, not because of yours, you got declared righteous. 
That's the gospel we've received. And it's an amazing gospel. And so Paul says, why on earth, you foolish Galatians, he calls them at one point, you foolish Galatians, you silly idiots, why would you go back to trying to do in your effort and in your strength what Jesus has already done for you far more effectively than you could ever hope to do? We are declared righteous by the grace of God. By grace, I can die to my old life and live a new life in Jesus. And again, it's by grace. So what does that mean? Not through my effort, but through his effort. Not through my effort, but through his effort, I can die. Let's think about that for a moment, because we so often hear the biblical command to take up our cross and to die to ourselves, and we start to go into, so I've got to try harder. Now, of course, there's an element of truth in that, but we have to understand that it's still on the basis of his effort and not on ours. You cannot kill off anything in yourself through your own strength. We are powerless even to die in our own strength. But it's because of his death that we can enter into by faith. We can believe into relationship with him. And his death on the cross takes effect on our behalf. And so his death on behalf of sin means that we can die to sin in our lives. Let's read another passage from... Galatians, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 23. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So this law, it used to be like a legal guardian because you weren't mature enough to be trusted on your own. So you had to have a legal guardian. It was the law and it it kind of supervised God's people to tell them what they ought to be like. So in Christ Jesus, verse 26, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, what was happening in the church in Galatia, that's a region, by the way, uh, modern-day Turkey, um, and, and in this region, what the Christians were struggling with is we want to belong to the people of God. We want to feel like we're part of God's family, like we're part of God's people. So what they're struggling is, well, we've got to behave a certain way, and then people will accept that we're part of God's family. And what Paul is saying to them here is, no, 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 you've totally misunderstood. It's not by you behaving a certain way. It's because of what Jesus did. That's what makes you part of the family. So it's not about having this this temporary measure that was the law. That was the guardian given until Jesus did what he did. 
But actually what Jesus has done is brings you into the people of God. And it's on the basis of what he did and not on the basis of your behavior. Does that make sense? Now we make the same mistake sometimes, don't we? We think God will accept us on the basis of our behavior. We think that we have to behave before we can belong. And if we behave naughtily, then we might get kicked out of the family. But actually, Jesus is showing us this. The gospel is this. He makes you belong before even you've done anything about your behavior. He brings you into a family on the basis of what he has done and nothing to do with anything at all that you have done. So actually, if you came in on the basis of what he has done and then you mess up, We have to remind ourselves, I belong to this family not on the basis, I didn't come in on the basis of what I've done, so I'm still here on the same basis as I was before. Does that make sense? If I came in on a ticket of it's all because of what Jesus has done, and then I make a mess of things in my life, I don't have to suddenly say, oh my goodness, I'm on the outside now, because I came in on the basis of what Jesus has done and what has changed. Has Jesus now done less than he'd done before? I'm still here on the basis of what Jesus has done. It's an incredible gospel. So we'll carry on reading, um, if I can find where we got up to. So from verse 26 in Galatians 3. So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. It brings, when we come in on the basis of what Jesus has done, it brings incredible equality, doesn't it? Yeah? So you might be, you know, you might be just so successful in life. You may have MBAs coming out of your ears. Um, you may be just like an academic success. Um, you may be, you know, proven in business. You've raised all your children so perfectly, um, and you are just, you know, you are just gliding through life, and you're amazing. The trouble is, you came in on exactly the same ticket. As the addict that had lost all control um, and had made a total mess of their life and in the world's eyes was a total failure and contributed nothing to society. In fact, committed crime and all the rest of it. And everyone thinks, what do they deserve? But you came in with all your successes on exactly the same ticket because of what Jesus had done. Nothing. You didn't add anything to what Jesus did. You didn't add a single jot to what Jesus did. It was all on... It's a great leveler, isn't it? Every single one of us sat in this room right now. No matter what our background, no matter what our gender, no matter where we've come from in life, it doesn't matter. No matter what your socioeconomic group, what part of the world you are from, we are all here on the basis of what Jesus has accomplished. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying, chapter 4, is that as long as an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. 
But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Now, this is where this gospel just gets better and better. Because not only, not only has, has God done it all on the basis of grace, on what Christ has accomplished, so you don't have to earn your forgiveness or anything. Not only that, but actually grace is more effective than law. Grace actually produces a better result than law ever could. So we mustn't think, well, grace is about letting us off because the law was too difficult. So God's now said, tell you what, I'll just lower the bar and I'll make it easier for you. No, grace raises the bar. What grace does is it says, actually, the law was just like a guardian. So it wasn't like a, you know, it, they, they, the law was trying to look after people until the fullness of time came. And now you're supposed to have the full-on father-son, father-daughter relationship. So you don't become, so this is why Paul said, why would you want, why would you want to have a guardian, whatever you call someone under a guardian, um, relationship? Why would you want to be in, go to that inferior relationship when actually what grace offers you is you can become a full-on son, a full-on daughter, an heir of God himself. Why would you want to go back to that when actually what I'm saying is I can make you into a child of God? That's what Jesus is saying. You can be a child of God through his death and his resurrection. You can be a full-on child of God and an heir of all God's promises. But of course, what Jesus taught us, I mean, for example, in in his Sermon on the Mount that we read about in Matthew um, chapter 5, he says the whole thing we're supposed to understand about his gospel is that it produces more righteousness than the law ever could. Because grace is more effective than law. Law just told you, it's wrong, don't do it. Grace enables you to change. Because what Jesus did on the cross, is he didn't just purchase our forgiveness, but what he did through his death and his resurrection, is he beat the power of sin. So he took away its right to be your guardian. The law can't be your guardian anymore because Jesus fulfilled all the needs. And he says, you don't have to live according to those rules anymore because I've set you free from that. I've destroyed the power of sin so that you can truly live as a son or daughter. We need to stop and think for a moment. Do I believe that? Do I believe that Jesus has so totally dealt with the power of sin and death that I am actually free because of grace, because of what Jesus has done, to live more righteously than anyone ever could under the law of the Old Testament? That what Jesus has purchased for me, this wonderful gospel of grace, is that actually I can be more holy than anyone ever could before Jesus came. More holy than Moses. Because Jesus has come and destroyed the power of sin. 
Let's look at Galatians chapter 5. Verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, for you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you do not do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, then you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit and let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. We've got this incredible gospel of grace. And this is so important that we have to hold on to this. We have to fight. We have to stand passionately against any attempt to reintroduce the law and suggest that it's on the grounds of how good you are or how good I am that there would be no competition between us. We are all here on the basis of God's goodness and grace. It's the great leveler. It's, a, it's what keeps us included, all of us together, on a level playing field. We are one people, united by a gospel of God's grace. And we've begun to discover that grace is more effective than law. That actually grace is supposed to produce a greater righteousness than the law ever could. That actually it's not, it's not lowering the standard. It's saying, no, you get to be full, mature sons and daughters and, and live the kind of life that God has always intended you to live. But then we discover this as we journey through Paul's letter to the Galatians, that we have to cooperate with God's grace. We actually have to cooperate with the grace of God. It's not on the basis of anything you've done. It's entirely what Jesus did on the cross when he died and then he rose again. It's all on the basis of what Jesus has accomplished. But you have to cooperate with that grace. That it would work what it's supposed to work into your life. And so Paul says, don't don't indulge the flesh. Don't live according to the flesh. That that life apart from Christ. That, That, you know, the me apart from Jesus. When I live in line with who I was before I met Jesus. When I live that old way, that old nature... 
Don't indulge the flesh, but rather sow to the Spirit. Live your life. Keep in step with the Spirit of God. We need to realize the extent of what's grace, what God's grace has made possible. You need to realize that God's grace means you can live a holy life. God's grace means you can live. These are not some pie in the sky pipe dream, these fruits of the spirit. This is the normal Christian life. A life marked by love and joy and peace. And patience, I learned it as forbearance, it says in this translation. And goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and and self-control. That's possible. Grace makes that possible in your life and mine. Grace, what Jesus has done, means that I can live that way. And we need to understand that grace does not make sin okay. Grace does not make, grace is not license to sin. Grace is not saying, do you know what, everybody does it, never mind. Jesus accepts us now. He had a word with the Father, he's calmed down a bit, and we're all okay now. It's a total, total misunderstanding of grace. Grace is not about saying, oh, we're a bit more okay with sin than we used to be. Grace is about saying, you couldn't beat sin. It had its hands around your neck and was choking the life out of you. But Jesus came and he won the victory and he beat sin and death. And sin can't destroy you anymore. Sin can't hold you back anymore. Sin is beaten. So when we sing about the victor, the victor's crown and Jesus triumphing and reigning, let's not always think straight away about, yeah, he's going to beat my boss that's giving me a hard time at work. Let's not think straight away, yeah, I'm going to get that deal at the garage and I'm going to get that Lexus because, because he's the victor. Let's think he's destroyed sin he's beaten the power of sin and death that kept me a mere infant I can become a mature son or daughter of God because Jesus has dealt with sin he wears the victor's crown because he has triumphed over sin and death grace doesn't make sin okay and it doesn't mean Listen carefully, it does not mean that it is wrong to name that which is sin. There is a trend that says it's all grace, so we shouldn't go around saying that that's sin and that's sin, because it's all grace. The problem is, the biggest champion of grace ever goes through a list and says, this is not right. The acts of the flesh, is they're obvious. Sexual... Immorality. Do you know what? Do you mind if I speak frankly? Is that okay? Can we speak honestly together as God's children? There is a challenge in the church. Not just our church, although I'm sure it exists in our church. But there is a challenge in the church as a whole. Internet pornography. It's massive. All the research suggests when people are asked anonymously... I don't know the exact figure, but it's, it's way over three quarters of people, men in particular, but actually growing, um, growing percentage amongst women as well, struggling in this area. So we can pretend 
we can say we don't like to talk about this. But this is a problem for us. Even if our percentages are, are not up there, they're there. And some people are starting to feel really uncomfortable right now because they don't want to give anything away. Because the thing about this sin is it locks people up in so much shame. So much secrecy and shame. And if anyone ever found out, it feels like your world would fall apart. Grace isn't about saying, well, everyone struggles with it. Grace isn't about saying, well, we won't name that problem. Or, or take drunkenness. And that's in the list as well. I'm not talking about drinking. I'm talking about drunkenness. I'm talking about drinking enough to change your behavior so that the way you behave, you wouldn't be totally comfortable with everyone here seeing how you're behaving in that moment. I don't know if that's the technical definition of drunkenness, but it feels like a fairly good one to me. If you've drunk enough so that you behave in a way that you wouldn't want everyone here to see you behaving like, and more importantly, that you wouldn't want Jesus to see you behaving like, then I'd say that that's probably a problem. And we can say, well, we live under grace. And Jesus understands. Actually, Jesus gave his life to destroy the hold that that had on you. Jesus gave his life. And what, what, what Paul says is he says, actually, because it's by the Spirit now, and, 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 and here he's particularly using the language of the Spirit, but of course the Spirit is the Spirit of grace. The Spirit comes to us on the basis of what Jesus has done and not on the basis of what I have done. So he is the, the grace gift of God. The Holy Spirit coming to me and living in my life is not on the, it's entirely on the basis of Jesus' death and resurrection, isn't it? So, so the Spirit coming to me, living by the Spirit is living by grace. Uh, and what I'm told here is that since I'm called to live now by the Spirit and, and, and not by the law anymore, that I should keep in step with the Spirit. So if we read one more passage, Galatians 6. From verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Verse 14, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. What counts is the spirit of God working inside of me. But God will not be mocked. If I sow continuously to the flesh... So if I'm struggling with drinking, if I keep on drinking, then I'm not going to reap what God has made possible for me in Jesus. I'm just going to go further and further into that. Does that make sense? Because a man reaps what he sows. If I keep looking at internet porn and don't deal with this, if I don't get help, if I don't determine, I am going to break free from this because Jesus has already won the victory for me. If I say, well, everybody's doing it, it's just a problem, we've just got to, you know, then I'm never going to break free from that because I'm just going to keep sowing to the flesh and I'm going to reap destruction from that. Do you know, actually, it's not harmless 
Do you know, actually, um, the vast majority of people that are involved in that industry are being oppressed. Uh, many, in many cases, involved in modern-day slavery. Do you know, actually, it changes the chemical balance of your brain? Do you know, actually, there is increase in the amount of domestic violence that is going on between men and women because the nature of this stuff that people are watching is so violent that people begin to think that that is normal and acceptable in a relationship between a man and a woman. And women are being oppressed and abused and suffering violence as a result of this. Do you know it has a grip on our young people that people are struggling? We are the church of Jesus Christ. We have to break free from these things. We can't live the same way that the world is living because Jesus, our gospel, is that Jesus has defeated the power of sin and death. Now this is not to condemn anyone. What I'm seeking to do this morning is to say God's grace is available. It's amazing grace and it sets us free. And we can stand together as the community of God's people, not with a desire to judge anyone or to condemn anyone, but we can come alongside one another and we can live in the fullness of what Jesus has made possible for us. Because this is our gospel. This is our gospel. We've received the gospel of grace. It's more effective than law. And we can cooperate with the grace that is upon our life. So whether it's one of those couple of areas I've mentioned, or whether it's some other area of your life, I want to challenge you this morning. Do not accept it any longer. Do not accept it as normal, but determine, I am going to cooperate with the grace of God in my life. If you need to come and see one of the leaders and get help or a trusted, um, mature Christian friend in the congregation to get help, then do that. If you need to make yourself accountable, many people have found in that whole area of internet porn in particular that accountability plays a massive role in coming into freedom in that area. It is an addiction. It's an addiction that has a psychological hold on people. So if you need help, get help. But determine, I am no longer going to sow according to the flesh, but I'm going to sow to the Spirit. What does that mean? I'm I'm going to have a great relationship with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to have a great prayer life with God. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to sing. I'm going to spend time in His presence. I'm going to sow to the Spirit. I'm going to make it along to connect meetings. I'm going to make it along to stuff that's going on in the life of the church. I'm going to spend time in fellowship. I'm going to sow according to the Spirit because I want to live in the grace of God. I want to live in the grace of God. Living in the grace of God looks like sowing to the Spirit. Using my time and my energy to develop my closeness, my intimacy with God, so that I can live in the fullness of what God has made possible for me. So I'd like us to finish by singing together. And for us to sing that song again about the victor's crown. Um, And when we sing... Um, Every high place must come down, and every stronghold shall be broken. I'd like to invite all of us to choose not in that moment, I'm not saying you were, but just in case, to choose not in that moment to think about the boss who's annoying you, or the, um, you know, the, the, the kind of practical... I'm not saying, please understand me, I'm not saying God doesn't care about those things. Of course he does. He cares passionately about those things in your life. And I'm not saying it's wrong to ask God for help in those areas. Of course it's right to do that. He cares about everything that's going on in your world. But in this moment, I want to invite all of us to particularly think 
about whatever areas of challenge. Is there anybody here this morning? I'm interested. I'd love to meet you if you're here. Is there anybody here who, ha- who you know, never ever struggles with any area um, of sin in their life? With any area of being less than what God wants you to be in your attitudes and your thoughts and... Oh, they must have gone to one of the other congregations this morning. Um, so I think all of us can sing this song meaningfully, can't we? Thinking about, actually, it's those strongholds, those high places in my life where I'm yet to see the fullness of what Jesus has made possible. Let's sing the words of this song with that in mind and determine that we will cooperate with God's grace and live in line with what he's made possible.